You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right, you guys should pray with me this morning. Listen to the words that last week we read and we saw about the apostle, I mean about the, uh, John the Baptist and his coming. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Father, we have peace. You have guided us there. You have given us light. You have shown us the way. Uh, through men like John the Baptist, through, through the Gospel of Luke, through those who have proclaimed the truth to us. And so now it's time for me to come and proclaim the truth to your people. And so I ask and I beg for your help. I ask that your spirit that would fall fresh on me, just like you did with John the Baptist and, and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and all those people in this story we're going to see today, just please fall fresh on me so that I can encourage your people, so I can challenge them if necessary. Whatever, whatever is appropriate... Lord, that you would speak, that your word, which is powerful, which is mighty, which is true, would go forth and that I would get out of the way and that your people would be fed, that your people would leave full, uh, that your people would have joy uh, because at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Um, Lord, I pray as I did in the first service for our brothers and sisters in Egypt who you know all well this morning showed up to, to worship and, and many were killed in a bomb. And we can't even fathom that and I can't fathom sitting, preaching, singing and someone tossing a bomb into our congregation. It's unfathomable. But Lord, that's the reality that they live in in a culture that is opposed to the gospel. And so I just pray for them for comfort, for peace, for joy in the midst of suffering and heartache. Uh, and that you know their pain and that our brothers and sisters, 25 plus of them are with you now. Um, and so I just pray for those left behind for peace and rest uh, and, and that our church would be faithful, Lord. We don't have any of that. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be strong and bold. For Christ's sake, I pray. Amen. All right, you guys got a seat. I mean, probably more than you should, but well, you've been coming here any amount of time you know a little bit about me, probably more than you should, but one of the things you know about me is I love the underdog stories, 
right? So whether it's a movie, whether it's Jimmy Chipwood hitting the last shot in Hoosiers or even Rudy, I'll give Rudy his props, getting carried off the field, even though it's not as good as Hoosiers. Um, I love an underdog, even, especially real true stories. So when you, when you watch and you, you see the highlights from like Jim Valvano in, in 1983, NC State beating Houston, and Jim Valvano, when they win, just run around the court like he didn't even know what happened. He was shocked. Or Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. I remember watching it thinking, how does this happen? Mike Tyson, he was the greatest, I thought. Or even probably the greatest underdog uh, story, maybe ever, 1980. A ragtag college, bunch of college hockey players go up against the mighty Soviet Union who were considered unbeatable. And then the famous, infamous words now of Al Michaels, do you believe in miracles? And they upset and go on and win the gold medal. Probably our last gold medal in hockey ever. Uh, But that's another story. Great underdog stories, right? And last year... There was potentially one of the greatest underdog sports stories maybe ever. I mean, it rivaled the 1980 Do You Believe in Miracles? And the irony is most of us have no clue it happened for two reasons. Number one, it didn't happen in the United States, right? And number two, it's in a sport that most of us don't consider a sport, soccer, okay? So, but... This is, your, this is your soccer, you know, illustration for those of you here, okay? Um, a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of considered way past their prime, they were 5,000 to 1 underdogs. When the season opened, 5,000 to 1. Just to give you a little bit of, like, perspective on what that means, last year when they won, they were 5,000 to 1. The odds of finding the Loch Ness Monster, 500 to 1. The odds of finding Elvis somewhere down in the Bahamas, 2,000 to 1. The odds of Kim Kardashian becoming president of the United States, 2,000 to 1. So this team had a worse shot of winning than Kardashian winning the presidency, according to Vegas. That's an underdog. And what they did, this little team from Leicester City, Don't Google it because it's not spelled L-E-S-T-E-R like normal English-speaking people would do. It's L-E-I-C-I, whatever, whatever, whatever. I was rebuked by our staff, our soccer-loving staff this week for not pronouncing it correctly. So it's Leicester City did what they had never done in their 130-plus year history. They shocked the greatest soccer league, the English Premier League in the world, and won whatever they win there, a soccer ball. I don't know. But they won something, right? (laughs) It wasn't a Super Bowl ring, all right, okay? But they won something. A golden net. Um, <laughs> but the, the reality is, most of you didn't know about it. A few of you. A few of you soccer fans, right? Maybe the greatest upset ever. The story we're going to read today is a lot like that. You have a 5,000 to one shot. A nobody from nowhere that no one saw coming. And she is going to shock the world. Right, And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to cover verses 26 through 55 today. We started this little gospel, actually this big gospel, a couple weeks ago. And if you're new or visiting, and kind of what we do is we work through books of the Bible, we started the gospel of Luke. Luke is a two-part story. And, and since Rogue One's coming out Thursday, I will refer to Star Wars this week for those of you who already have their tickets, like I do. Um, 
It's a two-part story. It's Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars is Luke. Empire Strikes Back is the book of Acts. It's a prequel and a sequel. It's a one big story that starts before Jesus was born and, and Luke works all the way through his death resurrection and then the book of Acts picks up and covers through about 60 AD where, where the gospel spreads all the way to Rome. So you, have, you start from nothing and the gospel spreading through the whole known world in 60 years. And that's, that's those, these two books. Luke was written by a man named, you guys are geniuses, Luke, okay? And he was a doctor. He's very intelligent, wasn't an eyewitness, but he talked to all these people that were there and he writes his gospel with one goal in mind. He has a rich buddy named Theophilus and he wants to give this rich buddy Theophilus certainty that everything that he's heard and come to know and come to believe about Jesus was absolutely true. And so he spends the predominant amount of the New Testament, 28% of the New Testament was written by Luke. He wrote more New Testament than anybody else by material, not by books, but by material. It's for one guy to give him hope and certainty. And what we've seen is kind of a big picture theme in this book is what we've called fallen rising. And we're gonna see this on Christmas Eve for those of you who come. Uh, we're gonna look at the text where this is out of. But, but your response to Jesus determines whether there'll be a fall or a rising. For those who oppose him, for those who reject him, for those who think he's silly, for those who do not obey him, there will be a humbling, a falling, whether you know it or not. And for those who look, put themselves under and are humble and are lowly, there will be an exaltation. How you respond determines. And, and what we've seen is those who we think will respond one way don't. So we had last week, the, the pastor guy, the holy man of God, he's all Mr. Bible Bible, right? And he goes in and he is, ends up being on the outside because he doesn't listen. And this old, wrinkly, barren, 80-year-old who everyone laughs at because she never has kids, she ends up getting pregnant and she's on the in. And the one you expect would be on the out is on the in and the one you expect would be on the in is out. And that's the heart of Fall and Rising. It's the heart of the book. And we're gonna see the same thing happen today. With our 5,000 to one shot showing up, everyone would say, no way. And God says, yes way, right? And what I love about this text is, you know when Luke is interviewing all these people and doing his research and doing his investigating, you know he's like, I gotta get one interview. If I get no other interviews, I gotta get one interview. I've talked to Peter and he's kind of a bonehead and he kind of talks a lot. And I've talked to John and he smells like fish. And I've talked to Matthew and he's a tax guy. And I don't, I gotta get the one interview though of the one who was there from the beginning. I gotta get the interview of the one who, who saw things and, and was there from the beginning. I gotta talk to Mary. And so what we're gonna see is the result of his interview and investigation with Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God, right? As we look at a 5,000 to one shot. So Luke chapter one. And look, for those of you who've been in the church for any amount of time, or even if you're a Christmas and Easter guy, and we have some of y'all too, you've probably heard this story. So what I want you to do is try to come with fresh eyes and fresh ears. Put your preconceived notions aside. All, you know, I heard this sermon, I've preached this text more than any other text in my 10 years as a pastor. I probably preached it four times because there's only like five Christmas texts in the New Testament. So, I mean, you've been here long enough, you get to preach them all. But, but I want you to see, I'm gonna do my best to put you there, all right? So I want you to, you know, free up yourself. You don't take a thousand notes. I don't have like six points on how to be like Mary. Don't have it. 
right? Google it. There's probably someone else did it. Here's what I want to do. I just want to tell you the story. And I want, you, I want to put you in it, and I want it to be so real and tangible. It's like you can smell the salt air from the Dead Sea, and you can feel the dustiness on your face. And you, I want you to feel the emotion and the joy and the, and the struggle in the text. Okay, that, that's what I want, because this really happened. Okay, this is not some, like, made-up fun story about Zeus and Pegasus or something else. This story is history. This happened 2,000 plus years ago. This was going on. And you're going to one day, if you're a Christian, meet this person in heaven and say, tell me what I was like, because I read it in Luke and I want the details. So, so I, want you to, I want you to try to get in the story. All right? So let me read uh, just a few first few verses, and, and we'll just kind of unpack it and work our way through. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. All right, so it starts out in the sixth month, sixth month of what? Of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, this is kind of sandwiched in between what we looked at last week, the announcement of John the Baptist and the birth of John the Baptist. So, so right in the middle, she is six months pregnant. Everyone knows that she's not just been eating kosher hot dogs now. She is getting big. She's large and in charge. She's wandering around. So that, that's the sixth month. And in the sixth month, Gabriel is sent to Galilee. Now, Gabriel is now officially the baby angel, right? Last week he went, you know, to, the, to Zechariah. Now he's going to Mary. He's got to be thinking, I hope this story goes, this ends up better than that last one because that knucklehead, you know, he didn't listen to me. So he is dispatched, and notice it says, from God. Right? You can underline that if you're an underliner or highlight it because here's what that means. I want you to ask a question. Where is... And you don't answer out loud because we'll have a thousand people yelling, but think about it. Where is the Lord Jesus at this point? Right, he's, not, he's not yet, his mama's not pregnant yet. And so where the Lord Jesus is, is he is in the throne room of God. Now, he doesn't have the name Jesus yet. He's the second person of the triune God. He is begotten, not made. That's what the language of the theologians. But he is in the throne room of God. Now, if you want to know what the throne room of God looks like, you just need to turn to Isaiah 6, whereas Isaiah has a vision of the heavens and a vision of the throne room of God. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the whole temple. There was smoke. And every time he spoke, it was like an earthquake. And these angels are bowing down at all times saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it's just a scary, frightening sight, so much so that Isaiah wants to die. He's like, he's terrified because he has seen the Lord. And what John the Apostle does, very interesting, in chapter 12 of his gospel, is he says, you know who Isaiah saw back there in that vision? That was Jesus. He identifies Isaiah 6 with Jesus. So when you see that Gabriel was sent from God, this is what it means. That Jesus sitting on the throne, angels bowing, holy, 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 lightning and flashing and thunder and all these things says, Gabriel, go tell my mama I'm about to be coming. So Jesus is sending Gabriel to tell his mom about Jesus. That's one because he is not just coming into existence at Bethlehem. He's begotten, he's not made. He has eternally been the second person of the triune God. And he has sent his angel, Gabriel, the baby angel, to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is one of those little towns. It's one of those little country little towns, right? 40, 50 people living in there. 
You ever driven on the back roads of Georgia? You had to go to Valdosta. There's no main road that goes there. So you're driving or you're, you got to go somewhere, you know, back country roads and you come to a little town, right? You go from 55 to 15 and that's a speed trap. And there's some redneck cop sitting there waiting to pull you over. Andy Griffith's right there, okay? And he's going to pull you over because that's how they pay for their city, right? So they, they got the speed trap and they got a dollar general and, and they got a railroad track, okay? Every small town has those things. And sometimes you'll see in these little country towns a little sign that says, you know, somethingville, home of fill in the blank, their most famous guy. When I was in Texas, when we lived in Dallas, we used to go to Terrell, Texas, which is, we had buddies in Terrell, we'd go out to, after church. So we'd drive to Terrell, Texas, 30 miles east of Dallas, and you drive into Terrell, and there's a railroad track, all right? And there was a sign, welcome to Terrell, home of Jamie Foxx, Right? And they had Jamie Foxx Lane. And I mean, it was Jamie Foxx's quotes everywhere on how great Terrell was, right? That was their claim to fame. Terrell, Texas, home of Jamie Foxx. Nazareth does not have that sign. There's nobody that came out of there. Who are we going to put on the sign? Nobody's good here. Okay, let's leave it off. In fact, Nazareth is such a, a, has such a negative reputation when it's finally mentioned in the Gospels and someone's like, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. He came from Nazareth. One of his own disciples or future disciples, in his honesty, says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's his response. It is such a nothing town. It is never once mentioned in the entire Old Testament. Never once. It's such a nobody town. It's never mentioned in the Talmud, the Hebrew Talmud. It is not mentioned in the Apocrypha. It is never mentioned in Josephus, the, the Greek historian, Jewish historian. It's, a, it's, it's nothing. In fact, Luke has to actually tell you it's in Galilee. It's, just, it's in Galilee. Because no one knows. Right? Even Gabriel has got to get Google Maps out to find it. He's like, where is this town? Nazareth. Right? So he sent to a girl named Mary. I know you hear, and you hear Mary, and there's all sorts of images, depending on your background, right? I mean, you want an interesting, Google Mary, right? Mary, the mother of God. I mean, this is the image that people have of Mary, right? I got no clue what she's doing with her hands there. I think she's doing the, the, the bird, or I don't know what that is, but I mean, she kind of looks crazy. I, I don't know, that, that Mary. All right, here, here's one of my favorite. This is the Jedi Mary. Um, <laughs> She looks like Princess Leah, and she's got the force lightning coming out of her hands. Okay. So, and then there's, there's California hipster Jesus Mary. Okay. Blonde hair, curly, blue-eyed Jesus, you know, and Mary with the sun around her head. I don't know. He's got a half sun. I don't know what that is. But this is, the, this is what people think about Mary, right? I mean, you can see it's Mary is, is just interesting when you, when you look at what the perspective. But here's the reality. Mary... First of all, her name, Miriam, is like commonest name in, in Israel. I mean, it's, it's, Miriam was one of the, the few like, kind of heroes for the women in the Old Testament. It was Moses' sister. She's a stud. So everyone's going to name their kid Mary. So she's one in a million Marys, first of all, but she is probably around 13, 14 years old. And that culture, especially when you're poor, especially when you're in a small town, you got engaged at 12, girls. You had a year engagement. You were married at 13. And there's not a lot of selection in a town of 40 people. You got Joseph or Joseph. All right, who are you getting married to? Okay, Joseph, got the, the one-eyed Joseph? Yeah, the one-eyed, he's the only one in your grade, right? Okay, so this is small town, 
you're poor, he's poor, she's not halo girl, she's probably got dirt on her face, she's been working out in her field, it is a, it, she is not glamorous, she's a nobody, she's a nobody, she is the true 5,000 to one shot, and so Gabriel shows up, right, and you can imagine what this was like. It says he came to her. It's interesting that when angels usually appear, they, they appear. That's, that's the word that's usually used. And it's it's kind of like shock value. And this one, it says he came to her. And I just can't help but think in my sanctified imagination, which sometimes runs wild, but I think it's pretty accurate, that, that Jesus was like, don't freak out my mom. Okay, the whole Zachariah thing, that was fun. Okay, I admit it, that was good. We're gonna be calm with the 13-year-old girl, right? And so he, he comes to her and says, greetings, O favored one. The king, old King James, if you have it, says, hail. It's the first Hail Mary in all the scripture, only Hail Mary, all right? But he says, greetings, O favored. Literally, the Greek word is graced. O one who has been graced, the Lord, and for her that would have been Yahweh, is with you, right? And, and, and here, here's the big picture there. We're going to come back to it in a second, is that Mary is not a bestower of grace. Mary is a recipient. Mary needs grace. She needs it just like you and me. She is a normal 13-year-old, 14-year-old gal who needs grace. Right? And her response to this, this crazy greeting and the fact that an angel is standing in front of me is very typical of what everyone else in the New Testament. She's greatly troubled. It's the same exact phrase that Zechariah when he sees the angel. So whether he sneaks up or appears, when you see an angel, there's always trouble. But she is wondering and trying to discern, what does this greeting mean? And you can imagine Luke saying, okay, so what were you thinking, Mary? What were you thinking when this angel just boop? shows up, and then he says, favored one, graced one. What was your response? She would say something like, I was thinking he was in the wrong place. I'm thinking, who, are you talking to me? Favored? Lord is with, I think you're, you miss, you're in Nazareth. Did you know that, buddy? I mean, this is not Jerusalem. Favored people, the Lord is, priests and all the bigwigs, they're down the road, 90 miles in Jerusalem. This is Nazareth. Can't you smell it? Right, that, that's her response. She doesn't, she doesn't get it. She's wrestling. And so Luke, you can imagine, say, well, then, then what happened next? What, what happened next, Mary? And he, she would say, he said the most amazing thing to me, Luke. You know what he did? He said, my name. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. I'm not in the wrong spot, Mary. I I didn't miss Jerusalem, Mary. I came for you, Mary. You, Mary, have found grace, have found favor, same word, with God. God has just lavished you with his grace. And and the reason I keep coming back to that, y'all, is because the Roman church, when they talk about the Immaculate Conception and Mary, they would say this, that Mary is not only a bestower of grace, that the Immaculate Conception is not Jesus, it's Mary. That Mary was born without sin, right? So she was sinless, and then Jesus was sinless. And that she went on to live her life 
perfect and that she was a perpetual virgin and all that is bogus. Number one, she said she's been shown grace. Number two, we're going to see in her song, she says that God is her savior. People that are not sinners don't need a savior. Number three, she had at least six other kids after Jesus. Mark chapter six, go ahead and read it. She had four boys and at least two other girls. Right, so all that nonsense is to exalt someone who should be honored, yes, but not worshiped. She is not deity. She is not sinless. She's a 14-year-old who needs grace and a savior just like you do and just like I do. And so the angel tells her, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and he shall, you shall call his name Yeshua. It's the Hebrew word for Joshua. Again, common name. Just a common name. Everyone's naming their kid Joshua. He's like the Old Testament stud. His name means Yahweh saves, right? He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. This is all messianic language, y'all. And she knows it. Throne of David, throne of Jacob, which is Israel, called the son of the most high. Who's the most high? That would be God. So he's the son of God. His kingdom, there will be no end to his kingdom. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is not your normal baby announcement, right? And I can imagine he finishes the statement and he's immediately thinking, okay, how's this gonna go over? Because the last one didn't go so well. And I, and I think there was a pause, right? Like just a pause. But Mary is just kind of like in Gabe's thinking, what do I do now? I don't know how to talk to women. Never talked to women before. And, and she asks a question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Never been with a man. You're talking pregnancy. And immediately, if you're thinking the last week, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> here we go. Someone's going mute, right? <laughs> Someone's getting smoked. She's asking questions. But her question is different than his question. His question is basically, I don't believe it, show me. Her question is, I don't, I don't understand. Her question is, is, I don't know how this is going to happen. His is, I don't believe it will happen. Right? So there's a big difference there. Right? Because she's thinking, I've been, to, I've been to middle school health class. And that's not how it works. Okay? So, so he's going to answer. He's going to tell her. Verse 35. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This, this is a God thing. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, because of that, because it's from God, because he's going to do this, the child to be born will be called holy. That's right out of Isaiah 6 again, right? Holy, holy, holy. He is the son of God. Now, if you're thinking, she's like, oh, yeah, I got it. Now, Holy Spirit, son of God. Oh, that makes perfect sense. She doesn't even know what that means. She's 14. She doesn't have systematic theologies. It, it's rocking her brain, right? Right? It, it's, 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 it's huge. But here's what's amazing, right? She says, okay. I mean, the angel says, behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, he gives her a sign because because Zechariah wanted a sign and he didn't get one. She didn't want a sign and she gets one. But Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and this is the sixth month with whom for her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And she just simply responds, okay, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. That's shocking 
I mean, that, that, is, that is shocking for this 14-year-old to say, okay, sounds good. And you got to figure Luke's like stopping the recorder. Wait, you said okay? I said okay. Well, weren't you scared? Oh, yeah. Didn't you have questions, Mary? I got questions. I had lots of questions. But what am I going to say? It's God. He says it's going to happen. What am I going to do? Right? It's, it's, this is kind of at the heart, y'all, of the whole idea of fall and rising too. And why, why Luke couples this story with the story of Zechariah, right? Because the guy you would think would get it, the priest, Mr. Holy Man, Mr. Knows His Bible, when God shows up and says, your, your wife's old, but she's going to have a baby, he should have said, yeah, that's happened before. I mean, it's pretty rare, but it happened before with Abraham and Sarah. So I can believe that. There's precedent but he says, no way, there's no way. And then he shows up to the 13-year-old and promises her something that's never happened before. I mean, virgin births, 100% failure rate up to that point. And she says, okay. May it be, whatever you say. The one who you think is in is out. The one you think is out is in. 5,000 to one shot. Right? Nobody from nowhere. And here's, here's the point I want you to grasp. This is the main idea for us this morning, main encouragement, to I think, for all of us, is this, that God himself delights to choose and to use inadequate, insignificant people to accomplish his purposes. That God delights to choose and use insignificant, inadequate people to accomplish his purposes. Right? I mean, how amazing. Ethan touched on it earlier that the infinite God, when he speaks, it happens, and the thunder, the, the heavens roll with thunder, and everything shakes, and all the angels spend eternity just singing, Holy, holy, holy. That God who upholds the universe with his right hand, who knows every thought you're ever going to have, who is omnipotent, omniscient, that he chooses to accomplish his grand purpose and his story and what he is doing in the world through people like us. That he is, that's what he does. 5,000 to one shots, like Mary, Elizabeth, John the Baptist. It should boggle our minds. I mean, boggle them, our minds. That every one of us has a role to play. And what God is doing, we would call it a ministry. And I know you hear that, you kind of get freaked out. Or you immediately go, ministry equals Nursery. Ministry equals parking duty. Ministry equals coffee team. And kinda, but not really. I mean, that's a small portion of what ministry is supposed to be. What we would say ministry is that God has given you a place to make his name great. Whether it's Savannah Christian High School, whether it's Gulfstream, whether it's Hunter Army Airfield, whether it's 63rd Street, that he has put you in a place and he has given you a platform to make much of him. Whatever that is, wherever that is, right? And, and, and the idea of ministry is it is not about you, but it is through you. God doesn't need you. He's not thinking, man, I need 16 people. Who am I going to pick? One, two, three, four, five. No, he doesn't need you to accomplish his purposes because it's not about you, but he chooses to use people like us. Long shots, 5,000 to one shots. And you know who misses that? 
The people who miss it are the ones who will not, like Mary, say, okay, I'm a bondservant. You don't want to be a servant? Then you won't be involved. Because if, if, if for those two people, like, well, of course you're going to pick me. <laughs> who wouldn't pick me? I mean, I've been in church my whole life. I got catechized or something eyes back when I was a nine. Been baptized, memorized this, go to Christian school, memorize books of the Bible. Who would not want me on their team? Jesus. Because it's about you. He picks the lowly. He picks the rejects. He's looking for people who are going to make much of him, not make much of them. And so if, if, if you're the one that's like, well, I'll do it, but I got to be in charge, or I'll do it, or I got to make the shot, call the shots, I, I should be at the front of the line here, then you can go to the back because God is looking for the lowly. Those are people who are going to miss it. But, but I don't want us to miss it because God has created you and he has given you a role and a niche to feel in the grand story and what he is doing. And if, if that makes you feel like, wow, a little bit insignificant, if you're looking around like Mary thinking, who, me? You're in a good place. Because what this text wants you to know is that your feelings of insignificance, it wants you to, in your feeling of insignificance, your who, me, is that you are favored. That God has graced you. That God has chosen you, not only for salvation, but to be used by him for his namesake. And it has nothing to do with how good you were. There was nothing in you that commended yourself to him. It is completely favor. It is grace. And you know what? You may be small, five, six. You may be scared of public speaking. That was me. You may hate languages and, and, and taking stands on anything, but God can put you in a place to use you. Because you know what trumps small and insignificant? It's favor. It's grace. And he's, and he's, you are favored, Mary. Who, me? Yes, you. And not only, she's probably asking, and she does ask, not just the who, me question, she asks the how, me. How can I do that? 13, dirt on my face. Poor husband. How, me? You ever been there? How am I, God, how am I going to do that? How, how, how am I, what, you want me to do what? I can't. Victory in this, speak to this person, reach out to them. How? Text answers that, doesn't it? The Lord is with you, Mary. Is the Lord with you? Does Jesus promise that he'll never leave you, forsake you, that he'll be with you until the ends of the earth? Same promise. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. Do Christians have the Holy Spirit indwelling them forever, sealed with the promise forever? And then that, that great promise, think about this. This promise is straight from the throne room of Jesus himself, made to Mary, made to us, that there is nothing impossible with God. You want to know how a virgin can conceive? Let me tell you. Nothing is impossible with God. You want to know how God can take you, a 5,000, a 10,000 to one shot, and put you in play? And use you for his name, because nothing is impossible with God. Right? And so she steps out. And, and she's part of the story. And, and in the middle of who me and how me, you know what she says? Okay, yes me. 
I'll go. Just like Isaiah says in chapter six, by the way, when he sees God and he's, who will send, who will we send? Okay, I'll go. Mary says, I'll go. Yes, me. Yes, me. And, and look, there's, there's people that feel insignificant because you, cause you, you're middle management and you're this and I'm just a stay at home this and I'm just a 16 year old this. And there's people that have got part of their story that is not good and, it, and there's some shame and there's some, I can't do that because of X. And, and what you need to be and understand from Mary is that it, it's okay. Your insignificance is trumped by his favor. Your inadequacy is trumped by his spirit. It says, yeah, you're inadequate, but yet you are an instrument. Right? And we just want to be a group of people. Say, okay, yes, me. And understand this. If you say, yes, me. Okay, God, I don't get it. I don't understand, but yes, me. Your life may not get easier. In fact, I'm probably guaranteeing it will not. In fact, if you think about it, does Mary's life get easier or harder because God comes to live inside of her? It gets harder. (laughs) Much harder. I mean, the first thing on the list you got to deal with is the fact that adultery for the Jewish culture was a stonable offense. So she's going to show up pregnant And they're going to be like, adulterer. Joseph could have had her stoned. Not to mention, what do you do about old Joseph? Hey, Joseph, congratulations. You're going to be a dad. Wait, we're not even married yet. I know. But here's the deal. It was an angel. Angel told me. Who's going to buy the angel story, y'all? You think her parents are going to buy the angel story? I mean, if a 14-year-old high school girl came to church one day and told, showed up pregnant and said, God said it was from him, angels showed up, how many of you would believe her? None of you. Right? You'd be like, yeah, right. That's the same response they had. Don't think they were like waiting for the virgin. Oh, yeah, we've been talking about this for years. They think she's as crazy as you would. So much so, do you know why you never see, you probably never see Mary's parents in the gospel? They probably, they probably abandoned her. They were done with her. In fact, they don't, they leave Nazareth and they don't go back to Nazareth, her hometown, till baby, till Jesus is like a toddler. Why do you think that is? Because there's such shame. Even though she's innocent. It takes an angel showing up to Joseph just to, let, to convince him to marry her. That's what she's headed towards. That's the life that she's headed toward because she says, yes, me. And she never lives it down, y'all. They're still talking smack about Mary. They're still talking about how she had an affair with a Roman soldier. 2,000 years later. And when Jesus was walking around, they said, we know who you are. You're, you're the son of an adulterer. Never lived it down. She's going to have to see her own son nailed naked to a cross. That's, that's the trouble that's coming because she says, yes, me. But you know what also is there? There's incredible joy. There's incredible joy. Because there is something about being on the front lines of what God is doing even in the middle of chaos, that brings joy. I mean, the chaos, you're, we're, we're, let, me just, let me just jump into the next text. But before I do, if, if Mary can, can say yes, what's your excuse? I mean, I can tell you, you're not more invisible than Mary, and you're not more than insignificant than Mary. 
what's, your, what's holding back some of you? You're kind of Sunday in it, but your life is not really lived on fire for God. You haven't really said yes to me, whatever you want, Lord, because maybe you're a little scared. Maybe you're like, I don't know what people think, or maybe you don't know what it'll cost you. I mean, he's gonna make you to move to Antarctica and be a missionary or something, and I hate the cold. That's your view of God. There's no people living in Antarctica if you're scared, okay? Just scientists. But that's your view. What is holding you back from saying, yes, me? Because I promise you it's not worth it. And some of you here this morning, that's you. You were brought here by a friend, a girlfriend. A lot of girlfriends bringing their boyfriends to church trying to get Pastor Bill to yell at them and speak some truth in their life. I do that for free. But what, what's holding you back? Uh, I promise you this. You will not find joy apart from a life of Christ. At his right hand are pleasures ever, forevermore. In your presence is joy. And there's nothing like being on the front line. Look, look what happens to the, in this story. It's just a joy-filled story. So Luke's probably saying, okay, angel leaves. Um, what, are, what, are you gonna, what, are you, what did you do next? I got out of Dodge, Right? I got out of Dodge. I went to the one person I knew would understand, my cousin Elizabeth. So in those days, Mary arose and went, notice, with haste. She's running to the hill country, to a town of Judah. Now, remember, Elizabeth knows nothing. She knows nothing about Mary. She knows nothing about the pregnancy. She knows nothing that she's even coming. No text ahead, call ahead. She is in the dark. She just happy that her husband's still shut up in the corner because he can't talk and she's celebrating that still, right? And so Mary shows up and enters the house of Zechariah and she greets Elizabeth. Whether she says, hello, Elizabeth, ah, you know, whatever, we don't know what she says, but she runs in and she, she says something and when she does, a miracle happens, Right? Elizabeth hears the greeting. So those sound waves from Mary's mouth travel. They go through her stomach into the womb. And as soon as those sound waves hit the ear of those little six-month-old curled up in a ball little John the Baptist, he starts doing the triple Lindy. He's doing jumping jacks. He's doing flips. He's trampolining inside his mama. Right? And Elizabeth, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaims, notice with a loud cry. She starts prophesying because her husband can't prophesy because he's deaf and dumb because he didn't listen to God. So she's got to fulfill his role and starts prophesying. And she yells out with this loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, how does she even know she's pregnant? She's like two days pregnant. She's not showing yet. It's just a miracle. It's, it's a miracle. Blessed are you among women. And most people would not say a 13-year-old single girl is blessed. They would say, you are in trouble, girl. But she says, you're blessed. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, wait, how do you know she's pregnant? How do you know she has the Messiah? Right? She is the first person in the New Testament called Jesus Lord, and he is just a microscopic person at this point. But she's worshiping him already. He's like a week old. She says, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This baby whose one purpose in life was to point people to the Messiah, so he can't speak yet, so he's just jumping. And blessed is he 
is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment. You're blessed, Mary, because you believe God. I mean, this is a big blessing fest, right? She's blessed. She's like, blessed be you, blessed be me, blessed be John, blessed be the baby. And there's just joy. Why? Because 5,000 to one shots are on the front line of what God is doing. How many people in the world know about the Messiah at this point on earth? Three. A baby in the womb, an old lady that shouldn't be having kids, and a 13-year-old that shouldn't be having kids either. Those are the only three people, and it's a tough situation for all of them, and there is joy. Why? Because they are in the right, we're in the front lines of what God is doing. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and what I want you to know is there's something about being used by God doesn't need us, but being on the front line of what he's doing. When you pray and you see God specifically answer a prayer that you offered, I'm not talking about the general God bless America. I mean, you were praying for this and God specifically answered. Think about that. You, little you, one of 7.2 billion people in the world right now, your prayer goes up to the ears of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he responds to you? There's something joyful about that. When God in his providence brings you and this person together and you just did this quiet time this morning and you were reading this and this person needs to hear that, you, 7.25 billion people and he just happens to put you at the line at the coffee shop at the right time, there's something about seeing God move in that way where you have a resource that this person needs and it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know. We just got this extra money and now we can give it to you. When you see God use, when you have the privilege, y'all, of leading someone to faith in Jesus Christ, do you realize when you got to share the good news and as my, one of my favorite professors used to say, the good news is only good news if it doesn't get there too late. When you have the privilege of sharing the good news with somebody and they believe, you have literally changed the eternal destiny of one person. They went from being under God's wrath to now being a child of God and they eternally will be grateful to you. I can tell you, I don't care if you're getting a Lexus with a bow around it, leading someone to Jesus or being part of that deal is, brings much more joy than a Lexus with a bow. I promise you, and it will for all eternity. And I don't want you to miss it because you're scared of something. Or you, oh, I don't know if I say yes to God. Well, who me? Why me? No, yes me. That's the response. Yes me. This is the God who says that he is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. Yes me. If, and if you're thinking that I'm just nobody, I, 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 I'm just a 16-year-old at Arts Academy, I'm just a... I'm just a 62-year-old grandma. and You're not just anything. You are favored. You're favored. You're an instrument. And, and the whole point is that, yes, we are kind of insignificant. That's why Paul says we have this truth in jars of clay so that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Who gets the glory if a bunch of jars of clay busted up do something? Not us. God gets the glory. Because ministry is not about us, it is just through us. And that's the point. And I, look, I don't know what God's laying on your heart. I don't know if God's laying anything on your heart. But I would say this, if you're a little scared, if you're a little timid, if you're a little, I don't know, don't be. If you're thinking, he can't be talking to me because God wouldn't want to use me, I am specifically talking to you. 
And I don't know what God would call you to do, but I would say this, start praying about it and then start looking. Because when you pray to God as a 5,000 to one shot, lowly, humble, and say, God, I wanna be used by you, just show me what you wanna do, I can promise you, you better be ready, because it's coming. Because that's the person he delights to do it in. It's not that, oh, I've been waiting, I got my degree, and I'm gonna, I did my quiet time, and I'm ready, because I've done all these things. That guy's gonna be sitting there waiting for a long time. But the one that's humble and comes and said, Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to do something. I want, you to, I want to speak to this person about Christ. I, want to, I, want to be, I have these gifts. I want to use them in the church. I promise you, God's going to show up. That's what he delights to do. And I don't want you to miss it. You may think you're insignificant, but you are favored. You may think you're inadequate, but you are an instrument. Right? And the section closes. Mary, in her joy, is going to go all high school musical on us. She's going to write and sing a song, very famous song. We're going to sing it later called The Magnificat. She didn't call it that. She's like, I'm going to write a song. It's called The Magnificat. Now, Magnificat is just the Latin word that comes from the first words in the song, my soul magnifies, right? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read it because I don't have time to unpack the whole thing. It is a song about God and what God has done for her. And, And I want you to notice that. Because everything that God has done for her in this song, he has done for you. But here's another thing I want you to just kind of, as, as I'm reading through, notice the whole fall and rising theme again, that those who got, humble themselves, God exalts. And those who exalt themselves, God humbles. Just notice what she says, because she hits it on the nose. Verse 48, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because she needs a savior, because she is not a redemptress. She is a recipient of grace and a sinner. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. And here's my favorite line in the whole song. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's Isaiah 6 again. But notice the personal nature that the mighty one, the God of the universe, has done things for me. Me. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud, rise and fall, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty, rise and fall, from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry, with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. He fulfilled every promise he said. Genesis 3.15, the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's gonna happen. That the one of Abraham would bless the entire world. That's going to happen. That he would come through Isaac, that he would come through Jacob, that he would come through David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be born of a virgin. It's all gonna happen. He's been faithful. And here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework, all right? As you're kind of getting ready for the season. Work through this song this week. Just read through this song in your quiet time. Take some time, maybe do it with your kids. And write down everything you see that God has done. He's blessed. He's merciful. He's done mighty. He's powerful. He's faithful. He's generous. And then think about how God has done each one of those things for you. Because everything it says to Mary, he says about, Mary says about herself is true about you. Has God blessed you? Yes. Well, then don't just say, well, he's blessed me because I go to church. No, specifics. He's been generous to me. He has done mighty things for me. He has shown me mercy. How's he shown you mercy? Because I did this. This is my, this is my sin list just from this morning. 
Be specific and think about how God has done these things for you. One out of 7.25 billion people just on the earth today, not counting in the past. And then you will see what kind of God it is we worship. Who wants to put you into play in the story of what he is doing. I mean, you're not gonna give birth to a Messiah, but you certainly have a role to play if you'll, if you'll be willing and say, yes, me. You're small, you're insignificant, but you are favored. You're inadequate, but you are an instrument. If you'll say, yes, me. Yes, me. We're gonna worship, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's table this morning as a church. And as we remember... And that's what the table is. It's a remembering of what Christ has done. Think about this. That Jesus is, the, is the, the greatest of those who have said, yes, me. Right? In fact, Philippians 2 says this about him, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. That that same Jesus of Isaiah 6, glory, robe, smoke, thunder, fear, lightning, that he took on humanity, and not just humanity. He could have come as a king. He came as a servant. And so it says he took the form of a bondservant. The very exact Greek word that Mary says, I am a bondservant of the Lord. Jesus became a bondservant. And then he became obedient. He said, yes, me. Obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, that the Father said, I want you to go down there, I want you to empty yourself of all your glory, and I want you to lay your life down for this sinful people who have rejected you and hated you. And he said, yes, me. So that you and I could have eternal life. Jesus, when he comes, he doesn't come to be sung to, he doesn't come to, to make, be a model of what it looks like to be good, he doesn't come just to heal people, he comes to die, one purpose, to pay the penalty of your sins and mine so that we can have eternal life through him. And it's not by being good. It's not by saying, look at how special I am. I went to church, I was baptized. It's the lowly, the humble that say, I have nothing. I just simply trust in what you have done, Jesus, in your life, in your death, and in your resurrection. And it is those people who have eternal life. Fall arising. And so we remember that. When you take the bread, you're remembering the body of Christ as he's incarnated. It's crushed and pierced for you. That he has blood now because he became human and it was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what we remember. So if you're a Christian this morning, we invite you to celebrate. If you're not, we'd say just abstain because these are symbols that represent what we believe as Christians. And if, and if you haven't come to that place yet, we're glad you're here. All right, we, we, we want you to be here and hear what we believe, and we want you to, to ask questions. And so come talk to me. I'd love to sit down with you and say, hey, well, how do you know this, and why do you believe this? But th this is just a, a celebration for those who have come to faith, and so we just ask you to abstain if that's, if that's not you, um, but to consider the claims of Christ and who he is and what he has done. All right, so we're gonna worship, and then we're gonna sing, and the way we'll take it is the men will pass these elements out, and just after some time of reflection, maybe some confession of sin, remembering the cross, remembering the resurrection, that you would just take right there in your seats when you're ready, and then we'll just sing a couple more songs as the team leads us, okay? Let me pray, and then we'll worship. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for revealing to us about your mama, a woman who, I mean, not even a woman, a girl, who was given this huge 
unbelievably big task of giving birth to the Messiah and facing just uphill battle of, of hardship and pain, and yet she does it willingly. She says, yes, me. And so, Lord, I just ask for us to be a church of, of people who say, yes, me. Not a bunch of people who think that we ought to be chosen because we're good. Not a bunch of people who, who think how special we are. A bunch of people who, in humility and lowliness, just say, yes, me. I thank you for, Jesus, your obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. It has given me life. It has given me joy. It is a privilege to proclaim your goodness. And I have not done it well, so I ask that you would take what I have done and make it good by your spirit. That that people would come alive in Christ and that people would respond to to the beauty of your truth and of your word. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.